We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Episode 152 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Friday, September 24th, 2021. What is a football Friday on the show? Big game this Sunday afternoon for the Washington football team at the Buffalo Bills at one. Rod Rivera on Tuesday called this a measuring stick game for Washington. How is our team? going to measure up. You know, my four-year-old son in his bedroom has one of those things on the wall that measure your height. You know, you stand with your back up against the thing. Well, he got mad recently that he isn't yet four feet tall. Is the 2021 Washington football team going to measure up to being four feet tall come Sunday at the Bills? Where will the measurement of the 2021 Washington football team ultimately be at? with this uh, measuring stick game. I don't know, but I cannot wait to find out. Hello and welcome. It is Friday. That's always a good thing. And it is a football Friday. That's an even better thing. In-depth preview of Washington's game at the Bills begins next segment, during which I'll be talking Washington's defense, Taylor Heineke, and much more off comments from Ron Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Thursday. I have a special guest for you, Bills insider Matt Perino of Syracuse.com, co-host of Shout, 
the Buffalo Football Podcast. He'll tell us all we need know about the Bills. He'll give you your opposition research. Uh, and I will give you my rhyming keys, my keys for a Washington win at the Bills in rhyming fashion. Juan Soto, another monster game on Thursday night in a 3-2 Nationals win at the Cincinnati Reds. This guy is hitting out of his mind right now. I'll talk Nats in a bit. I will do Goldilocks, my weekly college football picks against the spreads for our major area teams. I'll give you picks for games this weekend involving Maryland, Virginia, and Navy. I have a Capitals segment for you. Yes, a Capitals segment as Caps training camp started on Thursday. I'm not kidding, people, when I tell you this is the number one DC sports podcast or show. Big Caps news on Thursday regarding Nicholas Backstrom and good stuff on Thursday from Evgeny Kuznetsov. I have Kuzi audio that you have to hear. What kind of a season are we in store for from old Kuzi? Uh, it better be a good season. Uh, and I'll hit on the Orioles late in the show. Uh, they on Thursday night actually won in shutout fashion for a second time in four games. 3 nothing the final over the Texas Rangers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards as Austin Hayes and Ryan Mountcastle delivered again. A friendly reminder, uh, when you have 30 seconds to kill, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give this podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And please write just like a one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet uh, done that. Those things help out a lot. Uh, You can hit pause on your iPhone or iPad right now and do those things. And I thank you for doing those things. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Kyle McGonigal on the Washington football team of something that I talked about on Wednesday's show, episode 150. Writes Kyle, good show about the WFT rebuild compared to the Bills. Of course, you hit on the head when you said the primary difference between the WFT rebuild and that of the Bills is that the Bills drafted a franchise quarterback in Josh Allen with a top 10 pick in the draft. To the extent the WFT was ever in a rebuild, it ended when Rivera inserted the aged veteran Alex Smith, who had just enough in his one good leg to win the absolutely awful NFC East. By doing so, the team lost its chance to select a franchise quarterback in the top 10 like the Bills did with Allen. Rivera doubled down this offseason by signing 38-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick as the starter. Ironically, the only potential value in playing Smith last year and making the playoffs is that Washington may have discovered Taylor Heineke in the process. Of course, the only reason Heineke ever got a chance to play last year in the playoff game and now this year is that the aged veterans Smith and Fitzpatrick both got injured. These injuries may have saved Ron from himself as the team is now forced to do what it should have done last year, find out what it has in Heineke or Kyle Allen or anyone else the team thinks can play and is not almost 40 years old. If Heineke can be our long-term answer at quarterback, the problem is solved and the debate is over. However, if Heineke proves incapable of being the guy, either due to injury or ineffectiveness, not sticking with the rebuild may prove to be a huge mistake. At the very least, we will have lost a year in potentially acquiring a franchise quarterback. Heineke getting this opportunity to start, hopefully for the rest of the season, is actually the best thing for the franchise. Should have happened last year. Either Heineke looks like the man, in which case we have a starting quarterback, or he doesn't, in which case we may be in a position to draft a quarterback 
or we realize we need to more aggressively pursue one. Uh, good email, Kyle. So a few things. Uh, Washington, and I know, Kyle, you know this, but didn't sign Heineke until last December. So Heineke being the starting quarterback last year wasn't an option, unless you believe that Washington should have signed Heineke earlier in the season or prior to the season. But I mean, nobody was advocating for that. I do agree with you that the situation now is quite good in that if Heineke can stay healthy, we're going to get a good look at him, a thorough evaluation of him, and obtain a sense of whether there really is something with this guy. I think that there may well be something with this guy. I know I want to see more. I like a lot about Taylor Heineke. As far as the rebuild, I actually think that Washington is still rebuilding. And I guess it depends on your definition of rebuilding. But Washington, to me, is just rebuilding while also trying to win. So yes, the team this past offseason did acquire veterans like Ryan Fitzpatrick and Charles Leno Jr. But A, some of that had to do with what else was available, i.e. Ron Rivera didn't love, say, Justin Fields or Mac Jones. And so Ron decided, I'm going to sign a Fitzpatrick as opposed to trying to get someone like a Fields or a Jones who I don't really believe in. We'll see if Ron is proven right on that. And B, these guys talking about Fitzpatrick and Leno are guys on short-term deals. You know, these are stopgap signings. These are not like long-term big money commitments. Washington is still a pretty young team. Washington has not made some big trade in which the team dealt away a bunch of draft picks. And Washington is set up beautifully from a salary cap standpoint for years to come. And by the way, the cap situation can get even better this coming off season because A, the cap is expected to go up big time. And B, Washington can cut Landon Collins this offseason and not incur some insane dead money hit. It's tricky in the NFL, but you can rebuild and win at the same time. It's not easy, but it is possible. And Washington is trying to walk that line right now. Well, don't ever walk the line that is not taking care of yourself. Your health matters. And if you have questions or concerns regarding your skin health, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist at Mohs Surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan and a big listener of this podcast. And operating under the direction of Dr. Verghese is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. And specific to skin cancer treatment, the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offers something very special and cutting-edge, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is revolutionary. It's a non-surgical skin cancer treatment that's safe and effective. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects that go with surgery. You have options. Understand that a non-surgical option in SRT is available. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301 396 3401. Make sure that you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401.
or visit MidAtlanticSkin.com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All right, the 1-1 one and one Washington football team is at the 1-1 one and one Buffalo Bills Sunday afternoon at 1. Next segment is our special guest, Bills insider Matt Perino of Syracuse.com, co-host of Shout, the Buffalo football podcast. And then after my conversation with Matt, I'll give you my rhyming keys for a Washington win at Buffalo, followed by my prediction for the game. Right now, let's get into a few things with the game. So this game is an opportunity for Washington. The game is a chance to pull off a big upset from a point spread standpoint, although the line for the game has come down more than that uh, when I give you my prediction for the game. Uh, the game is a chance for Washington to win what Rod Rivera on Tuesday called a measuring stick game. The game is a chance for Washington to begin a season 2-1. and one. Washington has started a season 2-1 and one or better just three times over the last 12 seasons, talking about 2009 through 2020. We are not used to fast starts in these parts. Uh, Washington would be off to a fast start, relatively speaking, right? 2-1 and one with a win at the Bills on Sunday. What's especially interesting about this game is that it features a battle of two very disappointing units so far this season. Washington's defense versus Buffalo's offense. Both Washington's defense and Buffalo's offense have been disappointments so far this season. Washington through week two was just 18th in the NFL in total defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Buffalo through week two was just 26th in the NFL in total offense per DVOA. Which disappointment will be the least disappointing come Sunday? Which unit has the better chance of getting right on Sunday? Uh, Washington cannot get worked by Josh Allen the way that Washington got worked by Justin Herbert in the 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in week one, and the way that Washington got worked by Daniel Jones in the 30-29 win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field in week two. Josh Allen through week two was just 23rd out of 32 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR at 44.6. One spot ahead of him, Taylor Heineke at 45.6. Allen finished last regular season third among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL and total QBR at 76.6. Rod Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Thursday on what concerns him about Josh Allen. Well, I think his ability to to run is is obviously something that we've got to be we've got to be disciplined about. You know, we 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 saw it last week with Daniel Jones, so uh, the emphasis has been on that, making sure we're prepared for it. Uh, make sure we understand what our role is and, and how we fit that role. I think that's one of the things that we've got to be really sharp with. Um, I think his ability to throw, especially throw the deep ball, you know, the, the, the hard play action they give you is really good at the play fakes, um, which allows, you know, for, 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 the, uh, for the receivers to get downfield, to get in behind those linebackers. So, you know, we have to be, again, disciplined, reading our keys, and then getting back to where we need to be to, to force the, the, the higher throws. Yeah, how Washington's defense performs on Sunday is a big deal. The whole point of having a defense as talented as Washington's is for a game like this one, a game against a really good team, at least in theory, on the road. When you're good defensively, you have a chance in every game, no matter the opponent, because you don't need to score that many points. This is the kind of game in which scoring points could be a problem, given the Bills' very good defense. And so Washington's defense needs to get its act together 
Right on Thursday on whether this week has served as a wake-up call for Washington's defense. I think if anything provides it is, you know, looking at the tapes. You know, that to me is probably more important for those guys to understand. Uh, because when you look at when they do things the way, you know, they're capable of, it's pr- they're pretty darn good. And we see that. We see that with the rush. We see that with the run defense. We see that with the coverage. So really, to me, it, it, it's, you know, I mean, we've talked a lot about it. And, 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 and I really do think a lot has been said. Um, you know, it's just a matter, again, of continue to work together, continue to grind together and understand just, you know, how important it is that we all do our job. Yes, it is. Uh, No more freelancing. No more miscommunications. What kind of games are Chase Young and Montez Sweat going to have on Sunday? Chase has not been as bad as some people have made him out to be, but he has not been at his best. Montez is coming off a strong performance in the win over the Giants. Now, Ron has said the teams have been playing Chase and Montez differently so far this season, although Jack Del Rio at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday uh, seemed to pour some cold water uh, on that notion. But this is Ron on Thursday with more on how teams are playing Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Well, somebody put out somebody put out some numbers too that kind of supported that as well. That uh, that I think we, we uh, we've as as a team have have faced the second most amounts of double teams and play action play, uh, passing. Um, so you know the numbers are there that will support that. Uh, from what I understand. Now, I can say, like I told you, on, on my own, counting them, there, there's a substantial number of, 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 of double teams, chips, and play-action passes. And so what can Washington do to counteract those things? Well, part of it is, is depending on, on, on what type of, of uh, protection they have, there's going to be some people that are going to be singled up. Those guys have to win. They, they really, truly do. Uh, secondly, the, the, the guys that are getting double have to put it upon themselves to understand how to rush the doubles, you know, how to attack them. And, and that's one of the things that we have been talking about, we've been working with in terms of getting both Chase and Montez to understand what's going to happen. You know, part of it is understanding that, you know, if, if I'm going to get this action from this guy, will I attack it that way? If I'm getting this, then I go ahead and do that. I mean, they have to understand exactly what uh, is going to benefit them as far as attacking, you know, double teams. And Ron also got into this. Do Chase Young and Montez Sweat get frustrated with how they've been dealt with so far this season? Oh, yeah, they get frustrated. I mean, they, they, they want to make plays. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, these guys are they're high-impact players. They know it. They, uh, but the thing that comes with it is comes the responsibility of people paying a little more attention to, understanding what they're going to try to do to create um, time for their quarterbacks. They're, they're not going to sit there and line up all the time one-on-one and you know, take their chances. They're going to try and do it judiciously by figuring out when can they, you know, when can they single up? When do they have to double? When do they have to chip? When are they going to run play action? You know, that's the things our guys have to understand. Yeah, and look, ultimately, there needs to be production from Washington's defense. Double teams and chips and play action. Every good defense faces those things. You got to deliver. Uh, Personally, I'm much more concerned with overall unit performance than I am with individual performance. I don't really care how many sacks Chase Young has this season. I think people get way too caught up in that. If Chase Young is part of a Washington defense that ends up being great, that's good enough for me because there will have been plenty of good things that Chase will have provided that you can't necessarily quantify. But Washington's defense has not been great through two games. And so the lack of production for Chase stands out. Now, I mentioned the Bills, very good defense. The Bills through week two, number two in the NFL in total defense 
per DVOA. This figures to be the biggest test yet for Taylor Heineke as a Washington quarterback. Although, remember, he last postseason uh, did do quite well against a very good defense and that of the eventual Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who, yes, were without a key player and linebacker Devin White. Although, man, you listen to some of the Taylor Heineke deniers, the Taylor Heineke haters, the taters, as I like to call them. Uh, you'd think that Devin White is Dick Butkus. But anyway, uh, Sunday is a big spot for Heineke, no doubt. We on Thursday's show, episode 151, discuss what Scott Turner on Wednesday said about Heineke, including the reality of how Heineke entered the NFL, likely forever impacting how Heineke is viewed, you know, undrafted free agent at a Old Dominion. It's going to be impossible for coaches and executives to just delete that from their memories. Uh, Ron on Thursday on why the NFL has such a hard time moving beyond initial evaluations of players. People don't want to be wrong. You know, I mean, that's the truth of the matter. I mean, you know, you, you at some point have to admit a mistake and people don't want to admit that. Um, so I, I think that's that's one of the things that's that's, that's unfair about it. Um, but you know, it, it goes back to the old saying: you, you you treat everybody fair, but you don't treat everybody the same. And and that's what people look at, unfortunately. And you know, you have to be willing in certain circumstances to say, you know, we were wrong, we made a mistake, and move on from it, and and work on something else. But I think that's one of the reasons why uh, it happens. You know, and, and, and that's why some people stick with first and second rounders a little bit longer than they need to or they should, uh, as opposed to, you know, all of a sudden something bad happens and a, and a free agent's tossed. Um, that, that's, I think, is, you know, the explanation. And I think that Ron is totally right about that. People don't like to be wrong, okay? We all want to be right. It doesn't feel good when you're wrong, but we're all wrong a lot. Uh, I've been wrong plenty of times. Uh, Ron then got asked a follow-up question. Has Ron himself been guilty of letting an initial evaluation of a player distort his view of the player? And pay close attention to Ron's answer. I would say you probably went through that initially, but, but you know, really the thing that I've learned more than anything else is, is, is really it's about the contribution. Can the guy help and how does he help us win? Uh, that's probably the more important thing, I think. And, and you know, um, we went through a little bit of that last year, and, and fortunately, with the support of, of, of ownership, you know, we were able to go ahead and move from some guys that, in, in spite of their, their, their situations, their, their draft status, um, we were able to, like I said, make some moves and, 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 and hopefully make good moves so we can, you know, go forward. So, did what stood out to me stand out to you? That last part of the cut. Ron referencing, moving on from guys, quote, fortunately, with the support of ownership, end quote. Had to be talking about Dwayne Haskins, right? Being allowed by Dan Snyder to release Dwayne Haskins last December off Strippergate and then Dwayne's horrendous performance in the loss to the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field in week 16. But Ron did say guys, the plural of guy. So perhaps Ron was talking also about people like Alex Smith and Ryan Kerrigan and Morgan Moses, right? Washington parted with all of those guys this past offseason in various ways. But I thought that that was a pretty blunt reveal by Ron, him conceding that ownership approval, the approval of Dan Snyder, the approval of the Danny was a part of cutting ties with those guys. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, hello, Danny. Happy Thanksgiving. 
Uh, a few more items from Ron's post-practice press conference on Thursday. We did get a Curtis Samuel update. Kinda. Sorta. So Samuel at practice on Wednesday was seen running along a sideline with a helmet on. Uh, Samuel remains on the reserve injured list due to the groin injury. Washington placed Samuel on the reserve injured list on September 10th. Now, a player on the reserve injured list is eligible to start practicing after spending three weeks on the list. His team then has 21 days to place him back on its active roster. So we are getting closer to when Samuel could potentially start practicing. Ron, on Thursday, on whether Samuel might be back practicing soon. We'll see. Um, he's had a good week, good solid week. Um, you know, as as has Derek uh, uh, Foster for, excuse me. Um, so you feel really good about him. Uh, so we'll see again what happens after uh, after Sunday. Yeah, Washington on September first placed Derek Forrest on the reserve injured list due to a hamstring injury. We also have this: Washington has been operating with a fifty-two man active roster for a while now. Uh, you're allowed to have 53 players on your active roster. Washington has had just 52 players on its active roster for a while now. Uh, Ron on Thursday on why? Um, there's no real hurry for us to do anything. We, we, we like our situation, our circumstances, where we are. Um, you know, we've looked at a lot of a lot of people out there. We we, we you know don't feel the need or the urgency right now. They're, they're you know everybody's healthy. And, and so we're just going to see what happens after this week, and, and we'll go from there. I mean, you know, when, when we made the, um, the last move we did with Fitz, it came on a short week, and we only had four days, you know. And so instead of just forcing somebody up, uh, we thought we would wait and see how we got out of the Thursday game. And, and then we looked at the roster again and said, you know what, everybody's relatively healthy. We're fine right now, but who knows, and we'll wait to see what happens after uh, Buffalo. Yeah, and what you heard there from Ron was an admission of something that we shouldn't take for granted. Uh, Washington, when it comes to players on the active roster, has been remarkably healthy so far. Knock on wood. Now, notice I said players on the active roster. Uh, Washington has Ryan Fitzpatrick and Curtis Samuel on the reserve injured list. So you can't say that Washington has been immune to injuries so far, because that sure as heck ain't true, right? I mean, your top two offensive free agent acquisitions from this past offseason are on the reserve injured list. You know, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how'd you like to play? But in terms of players on Washington's active roster, very little in the way of injuries right now. Washington's injury report has just two players. Uh, Antonio Gibson, limited in practice on Wednesday, but a full participant in practice on Thursday. He's dealing with a shoulder. And Matt Ioannidis, he did not practice on Wednesday, but was limited in practice on Thursday due to a knee. That's it. Just two guys. I mean, for comparison's sake, the Bills injury report has 11 players, although some guys have been on the report simply for rest. But Washington right now has some flexibility when it comes to the active roster. Ah, speaking of flexibility. Position flex. Yes, Ron. Position flex. Well, you hopefully know by now that John Granlin of Real Broker is the master of commission flex. Listen up, if you're looking to sell your home, the days of some flat commission rate, regardless of how easy it is to sell your home, are done. John Grandlin is changing the game with a groundbreaking concept called Commission Flex. What is Commission Flex, you ask? It's simple. Flexible commission rates. You see, not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. If your house is going to sell in six minutes, don't pay 
6%. John Grandlin will put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. You see, John Grandlin has a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including selling your home for free. Yeah, you heard that right. For free, zero commission. Some conditions do apply. But interviewing John Granlin is an absolute no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do. So you don't spend needlessly, and there is never any obligation to list or sell. So if you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home, do yourself a favor and call John Granlin. You have nothing to lose, and this is a phone call that could make and or save you tens of thousands of dollars. Call John G. now, 703-537-6747. When you talk to John G., make sure that you tell him that Al Galdi sent you, and make sure that you ask John G. about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, Commission Flex. That phone number again, 703 703- 537-6747 or visit John G sells for free.com. That's John G sells for free.com. John Grandlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the master of commission flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron. Just like position flex. As we prepare for the Washington football team's game at the Buffalo Bills this Sunday afternoon at 1, time now for our special guest, Bills insider Matt Perino of Syracuse.com, co-host of Shout, the Buffalo football podcast. Matt, it's great to have you on, man. How are you? I'm great, Al. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm excited uh, to take a look at this uh, Washington defense, another good test for the Bills. I think uh, a lot of fans were excited to welcome back Ryan Fitzpatrick. Obviously, that won't be the case, but I still expect a pretty fun game on Sunday. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Bills are 1-1, one 23-16 one, home loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 1, 35 nothing win at the Miami Dolphins in Week 2. I know the Bills' offense has had some issues so far. I would think that that has something to do with playing two good defenses, but safe to say that this Bills' defense is as good, maybe even better than the Bills' defense last season. Yeah, it's looking a lot like the unit that Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier had in 2019 with maybe an even better front, which is what they emphasized this offseason. They, they drafted Greg Rousseau and Carlos Basham with their first two picks, defensive ends, in April's draft. And Basham's been a healthy scratch the first two weeks because of how many guys they have up front. They got Starla Tulele back, who opted out last year. And we saw his impact this past weekend. He's a guy that, at times, defenses have to assign two or three people uh, to block because of his ability to just eat up space. And he's, he's kind of quick for his size. Um, he's, I, I often say that he's kind of a smaller, poor man's version of Vita Vea. And that's a huge addition to this defensive line. It allows a lot of these guys to play a little bit more freely. Ed Oliver, Jerry Hughes, and they ended up having six sacks against uh, Miami. Obviously, the, there's some, some offensive line issues. But A.J. Epinesa, had a breakout performance. They drafted him in the second round last year. I think he ended up with nine pressures, and he, he knocked Tua Tagovailoa out of the game. So up front defensively is where the biggest jump has been made. And then they have one of the best secondaries in the league, uh, led by uh, Tredavious White, cornerback. What, if anything, is a concern with this Bills defense? Because the defense certainly seems stacked. You know, I think 
a lot of fans are still waiting for Tremaine Edmonds, uh, who they picked in the same draft as Josh Allen in the first round, um, the middle linebacker, to really become that elite playmaker and you know the, the splash plays, the you know not missing tackles, and uh, I think he's been solid in the first two games, and but it's it's just something where you're not seeing him flash over and over again. I think one of the reasons is that everybody else around him is making plays. So it might just be a situation where whose turn is it this week? They paid Matt Milano uh, this offseason, four-year, $45 million deal, and he's come out and just been uh, playing like his hair's on fire. I mean, he they used him as a primarily as a blitzer against Miami, and he just caused havoc uh, for that offensive, offensive line. So I think maybe, maybe that, but to your point, there's not a real lot going wrong right now. I mean, even at cornerback too, which was the prime, the primary position of need uh, this offseason, uh, Levi Wallace has continued to win that job, and he played well uh, in the first ha- first quarter. He got injured. Dane Jackson, their seventh round pick from last year, came in and continued to play pretty well. Made a big stop on a fourth down play. So it, they just have this is a group that's been together now for base the most part. For four years under McDermott and, and Leslie Fr- Frazier, they all know each other. They know the scheme. They're really tough to play against. So you mentioned Josh Allen. His stats through two games aren't great, but we know that the numbers don't always tell the whole story. How has Josh Allen looked to you so far? He hasn't looked as good as he looked last year. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it just it seems like offensively they're just not in sync. And I wonder how much, you know, you'd probably never get them to admit this but how how much they maybe opened up the playbook and and installed a little bit more i mean josh has talked about so much over the years how complicated brian dable's system is and i feel like from what i've watched it just looks like it might be a little bit too complicated right now and they need to maybe uh simplify things a little bit they have so much talent at the receiver position and i think sometimes you know brian dable he's had this group for four years so you know, he's always fine-tuning and adding and, and kind of switching things around. I think sometimes you just got to, you know, Emmanuel Sanders said it best, just go out there and play backyard football. And I, I think sometimes they're overthinking it. I think that that's a problem. I mean, And I think, you know, the, the full stadiums, you know, that's one of the things that people talked about this offseason. How is Josh going to deal with that? He's had some, some really um, high uh, – he gets really pumped up. Uh, before a game and so when he's played in front of big crowds especially on the road at times it's affected him he's been antsy he's he's forced things um we've seen a little bit of that so i think it's about just calming down a little bit relying on the guys that you have cole beasley stefan Diggs, get the ball in their hands pretty pretty shortly after you snap the ball and then go from there i'm i'm not concerned yet but i think we're might maybe a game or two away if this if if this script doesn't flip to where you're start to you're starting to really ask some questions about what's going on with this offense. Wow. Uh, interesting to hear that. I mean, with Josh Allen, right, number seven overall pick in the 2018 NFL draft, not that good in his first season, better in his second season, and then outstanding last season. Was his success last season a surprise, or was there a feeling that a breakout season was coming? You know, I think the level that he reached last year was mildly surprising to me. Now, I had been higher on him, even going back to his rookie year, than I think most. Um, but even what he was able to do last year, especially against some of the top defenses that he faced, I think he faced like four 
um, top 10 defenses last week, last year, and he had a passer rating over 110 in that, in those games, just his accuracy numbers were unbelievable. I mean, he's, he started the season, these first two games, and he hasn't had a game yet where he's completed 60% of his passes. He only had two of those games last year where he didn't reach 60%. So there's just some concerning stats. I, I saw like a, uh, his completion percentage on uh, air yards traveled uh, 15 yards or more. He's like four for 17, and he completed 50% of those throws last year. So there's just there's some of these little stats that you're starting to look at, and you know, but that are concerning. But we got to remember, and like fans overreacted a little bit in the first half last week. They they scored 35 points. They had 11 or 12 drives. They scored five touchdowns. They got their running game going. Zach Moss looked like the guy that they drafted. He famously said, I want to make people make business decisions when they try to tackle me. And I think some of those people made those decisions uh, in, in the Miami Dolphins secondary on Sunday. And then Devin Singletary has been, you know, that lead back. He opened up the game with a 46-yard touchdown run last week. So I, I think they ha- they're, they're learning how to be a little bit more of a complete offense. And the passing game ha- hasn't been as effective, but I think it's there's just too much talent for it not to be figured out. We're talking Washington at Buffalo with Bills insider Matt Perino of Syracuse.com, co-host of Shout, the Buffalo football podcast. So with the skill position players, nobody better than the Maryland product, Stefan Diggs. This is year two for him with the Bills. Monster numbers last regular season, led the NFL in both receptions and receiving yards. I know that things did not end well for Diggs with the Minnesota Vikings, but it sure seems like it has been smooth sailing for Diggs with the Bills so far. Is that in fact the case? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a team captain. Uh, they absolutely love him in the locker room. Uh, I, I think what sometimes it's just about giving a guy like this, who's obviously supremely talented, what he wants. And he wanted to be in an offense where he felt that he was given a chance to help the team win. And I think that was one of the biggest disconnects in Minnesota was that you know they had him and Adam Thielen, and they had put up some pretty impressive passing numbers. And the team still wanted to kind of rely on this run-heavy approach. And, you know, when you're a guy like Diggs who led the NFL in receiving last year, you know, knowing that he had that in him, I think he just wanted a, a, a place that he can go to that not only appreciated it, but really took advantage of his skill set. And they have. I mean, they put him in a situation where he's getting 10 targets minimum per week. And that's in a very crowded wide receiver room. Cole Beasley's a guy you can get 10 to 15 a week if you wanted to. Emmanuel Sanders has been to a Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl in this league, uh, has been really productive for a long time. And then they have some really talented younger players. Gabriel Davis caught seven touchdowns last year as a rookie, fourth-round pick uh, at a UCF. So, you know, Diggs has been everything they've wanted him to, to, him to be. Deion Dawkins said after a game last year, I, w- I want to rip the C off of my chest and put it on Diggs' chest. That's how much he's mean to, meant to us. Because as a building franchise, you know, as they were kind of putting all the pieces around Josh Jalen, Dawkins said it really well in a Players Tribune article. He's like, I don't think any of us really truly knew what it meant to play with a superstar before. Because Josh wasn't a superstar when they drafted him. I mean, he's become one. But Stephon Diggs came in packaged as that. And what he's meant in the locker room, too, and how he pushes guys and just his his general demeanor, I, I really think it's been a home run. I People questioned that deal at the time. I didn't. But some people nationally question the deal because DeAndre Hopkins went for what he went, and then the Bills gave up a first for Diggs. But that was exactly 
what Josh Allen needed. And that's what Brandon Bean has done such a good job of is figuring that out and then executing that and putting people in pieces around, uh, around Allen. How is the Bills' offensive line doing? Oh, it was a tale of two weeks. Uh, they came out of the gates, and it was pretty um, pretty troublesome. They they got absolutely manhandled by the Pittsburgh Steelers front. I mean, Cam, Cam Hayward, I think he had eight pressures. Uh, T.J. Watt had seven. Uh, they had a strip sack on Josh Allen. And, you know, this offense figured some things out last week against the Dolphins. And, and a big reason why is this offensive line played better. They ran the ball more, and I think a couple guys in this offensive line appreciated that. I think that as much success as they had as a passing team last week, there's some guys that really excel in the run run game. John Feliciano, Cody Ford. You know, that I, I think at times you got to feed those guys too and let them get out in space and 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 clear the road a little bit for for their running back. So I think that if they can be a little bit more efficient in the passing game, I think that the run pass split that we saw last week against Miami makes a little bit more sense and it makes it a little bit easier on the offensive line. I mean, when you're passing the ball 50 times a game, like they did against the Steelers, you know, it's just a much more fast paced, difficult game. And for Deion Dawkins, the left tackle, he had COVID, uh, missed two weeks of training camp, had a really tough battle with it, said there were days when he didn't even know he was going to make it when he was in the hospital. Um, and so he, his conditioning has been a real concern and he looked really tired. week one. he looked a lot better this past week. Uh, still playing 100% of the snaps, uh, which is good news for the Bills because they have a rookie, uh, very raw player in Spencer Brown behind him. But I think this offensive line will be fine. I think that it's been a slow start. I think Daryl Williams, who earned a three-year contract extension, uh, they paid him pretty good money, 9 or $10 million a year, based on his performance last year and his first year in Buffalo. He needs to be better. He's really... you know, When, when you go back and look at the tape, he's, there's been a lot of matchups that he's lost early on. And he's got to get better. Yeah, that's a really important piece of this. Wow. So Dawkins was in the hospital due to COVID-19? Yeah, he had spent four days in the hospital. Um, he had just gotten vaccinated, his second shot, and he ended up getting COVID a couple days after that, right before he would have been fully vaccinated and really put him put him out. I mean, he, he, he struggled uh, quite a bit. He took everybody through it. Um, there's some, some good stories out there. Uh, about the day that he shared his experience and uh he's he's it's funny because the bills obviously have been in the news the last three months for their you know couple players stance on on the vaccination and not wanting to be vaccinated and he came back into the room told his story and i'm pretty sure without knowing the the extent of it some people made some decisions based on what he went through and um there's they've had a small uptick in their vaccination rate since then uh but yeah, he's he's not the same play. He's not that franchise left tackle. Hasn't looked like it in the first two weeks, and understandably why. Interesting to hear that. Uh, bigger picture topic, uh, as you know, uh, the Bills went 17 consecutive seasons without a playoff appearance before making the playoffs three times over the last four seasons with Sean McDermott as head coach and Brandon Bean as general manager. Uh, this game on Sunday, a uh, Carolina Panthers reunion of sorts with Ron Rivera and Marty Herney now with Washington and McDermott and Bean with the Bills. What have McDermott and Bean meant to the Bills? They've completely um, revitalized the sports city. I mean, the Sabres, for anybody that's that watches hockey, have been the laughingstock of the NHL for a couple decades now almost. I think they have the longest um, playoff drought in sports. 
Um, the Bills had that before Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean got here. And they, they really, I feel like, provided the NFL with a blueprint for how to rebuild a catastrophe. I mean, under Rex Ryan, this thing was, you know, really just as bad as you can make it. And I, there was a lot of hype when, when he came in. Uh, Tyra Taylor was, you know, pretty good at the start of that thing. But, you know, they just never won. And, you know, McDermott came in here year one with a, a roster that had no business making the playoffs. And they made it anyway. I mean, they snuck in. They needed some help. But I think that that set the foundation for the expectations here. And when they, they realized they had to go get their quarterback, they got Josh Allen. And then what, what I mentioned earlier, how Bean has constructed this thing, drafting Allen in 18, then in the off, that first offseason, completely rebuilding the offensive line, spending money on the offensive line. Uh, then start, starting in, in 19 with Cole Beasley and John Brown, and 20 obviously with Diggs, getting him the weapons that he needs. And so, I mean, they've meant everything to it. I mean, you're talking about the Bills as a Super Bowl contender after 20 years of being the brunt of jokes around the league. So, yeah, it's, it's been quite a run for them. And, you know, this is a this is a massive year for the Bills. And it's been kind of like a, a, a bumpy start. But I, I think that the way that they dominated the Dolphins and their offense being so up and down, uh, even with despite scoring the points that they scored, um, I think that there's there, there's a high ceiling for this roster. Final question. Uh, you mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick. So he was the Bills quarterback 2009 through 2012. One of the worst losses for Washington over the last you know, 10, 15 years was a shutout loss to the Bills in Toronto in 2011. Fitzpatrick was the Bills starting quarterback. I know he got an extension from the Bills. It didn't quite work out. But how is Ryan Fitzpatrick remembered in Buffalo? Uh, I think with a lot of love, and I think Fitz, it, Fitzpatrick obviously shares that. He mentioned recently that there was no place that he that he played that was quite like Buffalo, and obviously the fans really embrace players around here. And the, the, the problem with Fitzpatrick was he had some really high moments in Buffalo, but then there were some, some of those chaotic moments that he's had over the course of his career where he can throw for 404 touchdowns one week, and then, you know, 250 and four interceptions the next and he was just a little bit too up and down and I think that the team at the time felt like they couldn't win long term with him and it stinks because I I always feel like Fitzpatrick needed to find a place where when he really became understood who he was going to be in the league a team to really just give him the reins for a couple years and just let him figure it out the same way you would with a young quarterback like a Josh Allen or a Justin Herbert. Um, and maybe he wouldn't reach those kinds of heights. But I, I, I always have a soft spot for Fitzpatrick. I mean, back then when he was in Buffalo, I was still kind of, you know, cheering for the team as a fan before I had started covering them. And, uh, yeah, I think he's remembered fondly. Uh, Fitzmagic, uh, it, it, there's T-shirts that you'll see at time, time to time around town. Uh, with his uh, with his face on it, and so Bills fans love uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, everybody loves him. He's one of the more likable guys in the NFL. But like you said, there's that high variance thing of he can be great and he can be not so great. Bills insider Matt Perino of Syracuse.com, co-host of Shout, the Buffalo Football Podcast. Matt, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right, my rhyming keys for a Washington win at Buffalo on Sunday afternoon and my prediction for the game. We'll get to all of that after this. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, my friends, it is time to rhyme. It is time for rhyming keys as I will rhyme the path to victory for the Washington football team in its game at the Buffalo Bills this Sunday afternoon at one. We had a 2016 Washington loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in week one. We had a 30-29 Washington win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field in week two. What oh what awaits us in week three? Uh, These rhymes are not meant to be good. They are simply meant to make a few points. And in fact, we have a philosophy for this segment. The worse the rhyme, the better the time. And so here we go. Rhyming keys for Washington at Buffalo. How does Washington win this game? Uh, Let us rhyme the ways. Rhyming key number one. This is for Washington's defense. Make Josh say, oh gosh. Uh, Josh Allen was great last season. We all know that. But Josh Allen has not been great so far this season. And Washington needs to capitalize on that. Allen so far this season has a yards per pass attempt of just 5.35. Allen so far this season has a completion percentage of just 55.95. Those numbers are awful. Allen, even in the Bills' 35-0 win at the Miami Dolphins in Week 2, wasn't that good. He completed just 17 of 33 passes. He threw for just 179 yards. That's 5.42 yards per pass attempt. That's not good. 
But Allen, like I said, was great last season. Finished last regular season number five among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in yards per pass attempt at 7.94. He had, for last regular season, 37 touchdown passes versus 10 interceptions. A big issue for Allen through two games has been him being pressured. Uh, Allen, per sport radar, has been pressured on 30.8% of his dropbacks. The Bills' starting left tackle, Deion Dawkins, has struggled through two games, has an overall grade per pro football focus of just 53.7. TJ Watt in the Pittsburgh Steelers' 23-16 win at the Bills in Week 1 finished with two sacks, five quarterback hits, and a forced fumble. He was dominant. That's the kind of game that I'd love to see from Chase Young and or Montez Sweat on Sunday. Washington's pass rush was much better in the win over the Giants than the pass rush was in the loss to the Chargers. There's a chance for the pass rush to be good for a second consecutive game here, and there's a chance to make an opposing quarterback truly look bad for the first time this season. And of course, this isn't just about Washington's defensive line. The back seven or six uh, need to be better in coverage. I don't want to hear any more about, you know, miscommunication, okay? It's troubling enough that that's been a problem in each of the first two games. Like, what do these guys need? Marriage counseling, okay? Communicate better. Uh, Because if they don't, the Maryland product, Stefan Diggs, is going to have a monster game. And we have already seen multiple opposing receivers have big games against Washington this season. And so rhyming key number one, this is for Washington's defense, Make Josh say, oh gosh. Rhyming key number two for Washington at Buffalo. This is another one for Washington's defense. Do not let the Bills succeed when they run the zone read. The zone read, the read option, call it what you want. But how aggravating was Washington getting worked by Daniel Jones via the read option and the win over the Giants. Jones finished that game with nine carries for 95 yards and a touchdown. The Giants' first offensive drive resulted in Daniel Jones's first quarter, second and goal, six-yard shotgun quarterback draw touchdown run on which Cameron Curl failed on an attempted tackle. Uh, that play was not a read option play, but the eighth snap of the drive was Daniel Jones's second and six, 15-yard shotgun read option run. The Giants' fourth offensive drive resulted in Graham Gano's second quarter 23-yard field goal. The fifth snap of that drive, Landon Collins completely fooled on the fake and a Daniel Jones 58-yard shotgun read option touchdown run that was nullified via a holding penalty on the Giants. But still, that play went down as a 46-yard run for Jones. Well, Josh Allen is plenty mobile. In fact, Josh Allen, even with his bad passing numbers so far this season, has been impactful as a runner. Allen through week two was number five among qualified NFL quarterbacks in ESPN's clutch weighted expected points added via rushes. Uh, That's a mouthful. I know that's a geeky advanced stat, but just know that that's a great measure of quarterback production as a runner. Uh, Allen for the 2020 regular season, it was number six among qualified NFL quarterbacks in ESPN's clutch-weighted expected points added via rushes. Uh, The read option is not new. I mean, the read option has been in the NFL for more than a decade now. Of course, it was Washington that helped to popularize the read option at the NFL level with what Mike and Kyle Shanahan did with Robert Griffin III in 2012. And making use of the read option at the NFL level prior to the Shanahan's with RG3 was Ron Rivera. Uh, His Carolina Panthers made usage 
of the read option in Cam Newton's rookie season 2011, which was Ron's first season as Panthers head coach. Allen has the ability to torch you as a runner, certainly on just plain scrambles and via extending passing plays, but also via the read option. Washington has got to play the read option better, be smarter, be more disciplined, and do a better job at getting off blocks. Rhyming key number two, another one for Washington's defense, do not let the Bills succeed when they run the zone read. Rhyming key number three for Washington at Buffalo, this is for Terry McLaurin. Display your might against Tredavious White. Uh, Terry was awesome in the win over the Giants. 11 receptions for 107 yards and a touchdown on 14 targets. And how about the job that he did on the Giants' top corner, James Bradbury? Now, I know Bradbury had that fourth quarter interception, but I still would say that Terry won that battle. Washington's third offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's second quarter, first and 10, 11-yard shotgun play-action touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin, who beat corner James Bradbury. Uh, Also on the drive, 12th snap, the snap right before the touchdown, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 16-yard under center play-action completion to Terry McLaurin, who on his route schooled corner James Bradbury. Uh, Washington's eighth offensive drive resulted in Dustin Hopkins, fourth quarter, 37-yard field goal. The sixth snap of that drive, Terry McLaurin drew a third and seven, five-yard holding penalty on corner James Bradbury for a Washington first down. Terry McLaurin has faced off with a number of high-level corners over his two-plus NFL seasons and has more than held his own. Uh, The Bills in Tredavious White, though, do have one of the best corners in the NFL, uh, Tredavious White, over his first four regular seasons, 2017 through 2020, had 15 interceptions. Uh, he was a first-team All-Pro selection for the 2019 regular season. And how about this? Tredavious White, over the 2019 and 2020 regular seasons, was the highest-graded qualified corner in the NFL on third downs for Pro Football Focus at 90.3. Now, Terry should fear no corner. Uh, Terry is more than capable of winning this matchup, just like he won the matchup with Bradbury. But this is a challenge. And so rhyming key number three for Terry McLaurin, display your might against Tredavious White. And one more, it is number four. This is for Taylor Heineke. Believe in your skills in facing this defense of the Bills. This is a big test for Tay-Tay, no doubt. Big Tay has a big game on Sunday. Uh, Bills through week two, number two in the NFL in total defense per football outsiders DVOA metric. Pitched a shutout in week two, a 35-0 win at the Miami Dolphins. There really is no obvious weakness on the Bills defense. And you know that the Bills head coach, Sean McDermott, and the Bills defensive coordinator and assistant head coach, Leslie Frazier, have been cooking up all kinds of things to confuse Heineke and throw him off. McDermott and Frazier are counting on inaccuracy from Heineke. McDermott and Frazier are thinking that Heineke might panic. And this is first road game as a Washington quarterback. The Bills fans, Bills mafia will be loud and in full effect. Heineke has got to channel his inner Jim Zorn and stay medium. Heineke did such a good job of that in the win over the Giants. He needs to continue to keep 
his composure. He needs to make good decisions, as he has been doing. He needs to trust his playmakers because they made plays in the win over the Giants. I mean, not every ball from Heineke was perfect, but the likes of Terry McLaurin and Logan Thomas and Adam Humphreys and Deami Brown and Ricky Seals-Jones, all of them made plays to varying degrees. And Heineke certainly needs to be willing to use his legs. Didn't have to do much of that in the win over the Giants. He may well have to do a good bit of that at the Bills on Sunday. And so rhyming key number four, this is for Taylor Heineke. Believe in your skills in facing this defense of the Bills. All right, my friends, it is prediction time. So the line for this game has come down significantly. Uh, The line for Caesar's Sportsbook as of early Friday morning Washington plus seven and a half of the line having been Washington plus nine just a few days ago. And in at least some shops, the line was nine and a half at one point. Uh, There has been significant money coming in on Washington. Caesars took a $300,000 bet on Washington at plus nine, contributing to the line movement. Now, just because there's a lot of money coming in on one side, doesn't necessarily mean that that money is sharp money, but the money could be sharp money. And certainly there's been enough money or enough quality money to where the line for this game has come down significantly. I have not had a great feeling about this game from a Washington perspective, but from strictly a gambling standpoint, somebody somewhere knows some things for that line to have been bet down the way that it has been. And so because of that, I'm going to take Washington plus the points. I'm not sure that Washington wins, but I do think that Washington can keep this game close. I said, I do think that Washington can keep this game close. It means you're close. Yes, Brucey. Thank you. Uh, Yes, Washington's defense has been disappointing, but the Bills' offense has been disappointing as well. Final score, Bills 24, Washington 20. So it was in June of this Major League Baseball season that Kyle Schwarber, of course, then on the Nationals, had maybe the greatest month that any Nats player has ever had. Schwarber this past June hit 16 home runs and slugged 760. The Nats were 40 and 38 at the end of June, and then came maybe the worst month in Nationals history, July 2021, and we are where we are now. But Juan Soto right now, in this month of September, is having a month that is at least challenging the greatness that was Kyle Schwarber's June, and may well be exceeding Kyle Schwarber's June. Soto was at it again on Thursday night in a 3-2 win at the Cincinnati Reds in game one of a four-game series. Uh, The Nats, the boys, uh, they improved to 64 and 89 on the season. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey, the boys. And Juan Soto was out there again as the Nats starting right fielder and number three batter. And Juan Soto was at it again. Three for three with two solo homers, a single, and a history-making walk. Uh, That walk came in the top of the first, Soto drawing a one-out nine-pitch walk to set a new Nats-slash-Expos record 
for most walks by a player in a regular season at 131. Soto in the Nats one-run third had a two-out full-count single up the middle, despite having been down in the count at 1.12. Soto in the top of the six had an opposite field leadoff homer to left field on an 0-2 pitch. For a 2-0 Nats lead, the homer was Soto's 28th of the season when it projected 368 feet for StatCast. Soto in the top of the seventh had a two-out full count opposite field solo homer to left field for a 3-0 Nats lead. That homer was Soto's 29th of the season and when it projected 348 feet for StatCast. So neither homer was a bomb, okay? Neither homer was a Ruthian clout, but a homer is a homer. Juan Soto got on base four times again on Thursday night. This game, in fact, marked the 24th time this season that Soto reached base four times in a game. The only players to reach base four times in a game more times in a regular season are, you ready for this? Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Ted Williams, and Barry Bonds. Four of the greatest hitters in the history of the sport, and I know Bonds was a juicer, but he still was a great hitter. That's the company that Juan Soto is now in with what Soto is doing this season. Juan Soto now on the season has a major league leading batting average of 325, a major league leading on-base percentage of 470. He has a slugging percentage of 559. His OPS for the season is 1,029. He's number two in the majors in OPS. And Juan Soto entered games on Thursday, number one among all National League position players in wins above replacement for baseball reference at 6.9. I will say what I said on Thursday's show, episode 151. Juan Soto is a very legitimate candidate for National League MVP. I don't care that the Nats are a bad team. That should have nothing to do with whether Soto is a legitimate candidate. You very much could argue right now that Juan Soto is the leading candidate, the most deserving candidate for National League MVP. The run that he is on is outstanding. His overall season numbers are spectacular. And Juan Soto's body of work isn't just about his batting. Again, he's number one among all National League position players in war per baseball reference. Understand, war takes into account everything you do as a player, your batting, your base running, and your defense. Juan Soto has played a good right field this season for the Nats. But here now is Juan Soto's September slash line. I mean, I mentioned Kyle Schwarber, right? Kyle Schwarber in June was out of this world. Again, 16 home runs, a slugging percentage of 760. Juan Soto now, in the month of September, is slugging 838. Juan Soto's slugging percentage in the month of September is 78 points higher than Kyle Schwarber's slugging percentage for that month of June. And Soto, in this month of September, is batting 473. And Soto, in this month of September, has a 608 on base percentage. The guy is a freak of nature. The guy is putting together the best season of his major league career. It didn't always feel this way. You know, there was a while this season in which Soto wasn't hitting for power. We kind of wondered, like, what's going on here with Soto? And no, man, uh, his overall numbers are just fine for the 2021 MLB campaign. Uh, Another bright spot for the Nats in this 3-2 win at the Cincinnati Reds on Thursday night was Patrick Corbin, who, believe it or not, now has been good in three of his last four starts. Corbin on Thursday night, six and two-thirds scoreless innings. He had seven strikeouts. Now, he did issue four walks, 
but he also gave up just four hits, a double and three singles. He threw 59 strikes versus 40 balls on 99 pitches. And like I said, you take a step back, this is now three good starts over Patrick Corbin's last four starts. September 6th, a 4-3 win over the New York Mets at Nationals Park. Corbin, three runs in seven innings. September 12th, a 6-2 win at the Pittsburgh Pirates. Corbin, two runs in seven innings. The bad outing was his most recent outing prior to this one on Thursday night. Corbin in a 6-0 loss. The Colorado Rockies at Nationals Park this past Saturday got rocked. Six runs, five earned in four innings. That was bad, and that was way too reminiscent of what we have seen way too often and what has been a nightmare of a 2021 season for Corbin. But overall, he has been better lately. And I tell you what, given how awful his 2021 season has been, you take anything you can construe as a positive for Patrick Corbin right now. And so if he is ending his season on a relative high note, you know, at least by his standards, then you go ahead and you accept that. And you don't question that because this guy needs to get back on track. This is one of the big priorities for the Nationals this offseason and next season, fixing Patrick Corbin. This is year three of a six-year, $140 million contract. The Nats are stuck with Corbin. So they got to figure this out. And I think they can figure this out. I don't think that Corbin is a total lost cause even though at times this season, he has felt that way. And it's been a terrible year. I mean, he now this season still has the worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors at 592. But at least he's got the darn thing under six. He also now has made 30 starts on the season. So he has been durable. I mean, there is something to be said for that. Like, it's not like the guy's had a bunch of injuries. It's just that the guy has been ineffective way too often, but he has been more effective lately. Uh, For the Nats' bullpen on Thursday night, two relievers were good. Uh, One was not, though. Uh, So Mason Thompson entered the game, bottom of the seventh with two outs, a runner on second, and the Nats up 3-0, and Thompson got the job done, struck out Jonathan India on four pitches. Tanner Rainey tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth with two strikeouts. That was good, especially considering that Tanner was facing the heart of the Reds lineup. But then Kyle Finnegan struggled in the bottom of the ninth, gave up two runs, uh, gave up the two runs on a leadoff first pitch single by Eugenio Suarez, a pinch RBI triple by Max Schrock on a one-two pitch, and a pinch RBI ground out by Tucker Barnhart. And Finnegan also issued a two-out full count hit by pitch of Jonathan India. So Finnegan was bad, but Thompson and Rainey were good. Rainey continues to look so good since being brought back up from AAA Rochester, and I would not be surprised at all if you start seeing Tanner Rainey as the Nats quote-unquote closer, although in a lot of ways, Rainey was the closer on Thursday night and that he got the higher leverage inning. Uh, that eighth inning was against the heart of the Reds lineup. Davey Martinez wanted to see Tanner Rainey face the heart of the Reds lineup, and Rainey got the job done, and then Finnegan, uh, well, I guess you say Finnegan ultimately did get the job done, but it was a bumpy ride with him giving up the two runs, comes into the game with the Nats up 3 nothing, exits the game, ends the game with the Nats winning 3-2. Uh, some other observations from this win at the Reds. Another good game for Josh Bell, uh, Nats starting first baseman, number four batter, two for three with two singles and a walk. Top of the third, had a two-out opposite field RBI single to left field. Top of the sixth, drew a five-pitch walk. Top of the seventh, had a two-out single. Josh Bell's OPS for the season up to 821. You know, if not for Soto just hitting out of his mind right now, uh, I think there'd be a lot more attention on Josh Bell and a guy who's gone from having a nightmare of a first month of the season 
to now having a really nice first season with the Nats. Again, 821 OPS on the year. You know, Bell has a 340 on base percentage. That's really good. I mean, Josh Bell has become a very good hitter for the Nationals this year. Uh, K-Bert Ruiz continued to demonstrate signs of blossoming as he was uh, supposed to blossom as one of the premier prospects acquired by the Nats. Uh, when the Nats traded Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the Los Angeles Dodgers in late July. Ruiz on Thursday night, one for four with a double. Uh, top of the six, had a one-out double down the right field line on a one-two pitch. It was not, though, a good night for Luis Garcia. Uh, Garcia was actually the Nats' number five batter on Thursday night. Yadiel Hernandez has been placed on the paternity list. Garcia's been hitting well, and so Garcia got bumped up to the number five spot in Davey Martinez's lineup. But uh, things did not go so well. Garcia 0 for 4 with a strikeout, left six men on base. Carter Keboom had another rough game as well. Keboom 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. He now, in this month of September, has a batting average of 167, an on-base percentage of 244, and a slugging percentage of 179. You know, for a while, things were trending upward with Carter Keboom. That has not been the case for multiple weeks now. Another bad game on Thursday night. This has not been a good month of September. I mean, the Nationals, to me, are not in a position where they could just say, all right, the heck with Carter Keboom for next season. Like, no, I think Keboom's probably going to be back with the Nats, unless they include him in some kind of a trade. But, you know, with Keboom, it's like you still got to figure out if this guy's a piece or not. But more and more, it looks like he may not be a piece. Now, some guys take multiple years to develop. Uh, Dansby Swanson of the Atlanta Braves is an example of one of those guys. So again, I don't just want to get rid of Carter Keboom and be done with him, but it's not encouraging at all uh, the way his 2021 season is ending. Something I do want to make mention of too with the Nationals, and this actually came out on Wednesday, uh, Nationals insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post reported that Nationals assistant general manager of baseball research and development, Sam Mondry Cohen, has informed the Nats that he will not return once his contract expires at the end of the season. Now, Doherty noted that while Mondry Cohen does not have a new job lined up, uh, Mondry Cohen is planning to pursue opportunities with other clubs this coming offseason. So it's not like Sam Mondry Cohen is getting out of baseball. Sam Mondry Cohen is just getting out of the Nationals. Uh, Mondry Cohen has been with the Nats since 2009. His departure comes off the departure of another guy in the Nationals Research and Development Department, Scott Van Letten. Uh, Scott Van Letten left the Nats last month to become the lead man in the Colorado Rockies Research and Development Department. Research and development is another way of saying analytics, okay? So the Nationals are losing two of their top guys, if not their two top guys in analytics here, in Sam Mondry Cohen and Scott Van Lenten. And I bring this up for a few reasons. Number one, the fact that Mondry Cohen is leaving on his own, as opposed to being fired, uh, I think is interesting. Now, you know, Sam Mondry Cohen, you talk to people, they'll tell you, this is a guy who has designs on ultimately being a general manager. And perhaps he sees the Nats with Mike Rizzo having not that long ago signed a contract extension. And, you know, every indication is that Rizzo has no plans on retiring anytime soon. Well, you're not going to become general manager of the Nationals anytime soon, or so it seems. So maybe Sam Mondry Cohen is trying to go somewhere else that'll put him on a path to being the team's GM. But, you know, to me, if you're the Nats, right, and you've really lost your way 
when it comes to player development. You have a real problem right now with the state of the farm system, with how guys grow and develop in your organization. You've had a very tough time developing pitching, especially in recent years. To lose a bright young mind like Sam Mondry Cohen, to me, is not a good thing. You know, that you, like, you don't want good, talented, young, rising people leaving your organization. And Mondry Cohen is doing that. And I'm not trying to build the guy up to be, you know, the next Theo Epstein. But you know what? Maybe he is, you know, and that you're losing him and this guy, Scott Van Lenten. I mean, maybe you replace those guys with better people. That's always possible. But there's a lot of change right now with the Nationals. The winds of change are blowing. Uh, It was on Tuesday that we had multiple reports of the Nationals having parted with multiple minor league coaches, high A manager Tommy Shields, double A hitting coach Brian Rupp, low A pitching coach Pat Rice, outfield and base running coordinator Gary Thurman. And again, maybe the Nats are better off without all these people. Maybe the Nats are going to be replacing these people with better people. But there is something going on here where you're seeing some significant change behind the scenes with the Nationals. And it's hard to ignore, okay, all of this change comes at the end of the season that has been a massive indictment of the Nationals player development. So it's just something to be thinking about. There's a lot with this stuff that we don't know. I'll grant you that. Like we don't have all of the information So I don't know, maybe Mike Rizzo didn't really want to keep Sam Mondry Cohen and is kind of allowing him to leave for another job. Like you don't know, you don't know. But the Nationals, more than anything, this offseason have got to rediscover their way regarding player development. Because when it comes to whether the Nats will be good again sooner rather than later, nothing matters more than the Nationals getting back to developing their own. You can't just keep signing guys and trading for guys, and that's how you get your good players. You've got to get back to drafting and developing players who turn into good players at the major league level. Game two for the Nats at the Reds, Friday night at 7-10. Paolo Espino versus Sonny Gray. All right, it is that time. Goldilocks for week four of the college football season. You've heard of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. This is Goldilocks, my weekly college football picks against the spreads for Maryland, Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. Six and three on the season, coming off a three and no week. You're welcome. Uh, All four teams are in action this weekend, although Virginia Tech is hosting Richmond, which is an FCS school, Saturday at noon. So that game is off the board in most shops. I will not be picking that game. Hokies are coming off a painful defeat, fell to 2-1 with a 27-21 loss at West Virginia last Saturday afternoon. Tech rallied from a 27-7 third quarter deficit to cut the Mountaineers' lead to 27-21. Got a huge fourth quarter interception by defensive back Jermaine Waller on a third and 10 at the Mountaineers 25, giving the Hokies a first and 10 at the Mountaineers 17 with 2-11 left in the fourth quarter. The Hokies eventually had a first and goal at the three, but the Hokies failed. Running back Jalen Holston got stuffed on back-to-back runs and quarterback Braxton Burmeister then had back-to-back incompletions for a turnover on downs. The Hokies' red zone offense was a mess as they in the game went just one for four in the red zone. All right, so Goldilocks. All odds are from Caesars Sportsbook as of early Friday morning. Goldilocks game number one, Maryland, home to Kent State, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. The Terrapins are minus 14 and a half. Big number. Uh, Terps are 3-0. First time since 2016 are coming off a 2017 walk-off win at Illinois 
last Friday night. Joseph Petrino drilling a 32-yard field goal as time expired in the fourth quarter for the win. A very close game, despite Illinois having not been a good team. This game had reverse line movement and thus reeked of being a game in which the Terps would have issues despite Illinois coming into the game just one and two. The Terps uh, did not cover, but they did win. Uh, the Terps were sluggish offensively for most of the game, but quarterback Talia Tungavailoa delivered again. 32 of 43 for 350 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. He took three sacks. He had a big second and five 35-yard shotgun read option run on the second offensive play of the second half. And he led two scoring drives in the fourth quarter to complete a comeback from a 17-10 fourth quarter deficit. Talia, over those two drives, went seven of eight for 101 yards and a touchdown. Kent State is one and two. The two losses are blowout losses at then top six teams, 41-10 loss at then number six, Texas A&M on September 4th, and a 37 loss at then number five, Iowa, last Saturday. Uh, the win is a 60-10 smashing of VMI on September 11th. The public is pretty heavily on the Terps. Uh, Terps should win this game. The question is by how much. Now, looming for Maryland is a huge game against number five, Iowa, in College Park next Friday night, October 1st. You would hope that there's no look ahead for the Terps or anything like that. I'd like to think that there will not be a look ahead. And so give me Maryland minus 14 and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Yes, thank you, Snoop. Goldilocks, game number two, a big game for Wahoo Virginia, home to Wake Forest, Friday night at seven. The Cavaliers are minus three and a half. Cavs fell to two and one with a 59-39 loss at then number 21 North Carolina last Saturday night. This game was nuts. Cavs and Tar Heels combined for 98 points and 1,273 net yards of offense. The Wahoos defense was atrocious. I mean, the Who's allowed North Carolina to generate 699 total net yards of offense. Who's allowed Carolina to average 10.3 yards per play. The Hoos did not force a single punt. The Hoos got carved up by North Carolina quarterback Sam Howell, who went 14-21 for 307 yards, five touchdowns, and an interception. The Hoos totaled just one sack, and the Hoos allowed Howell to have 15 carries for 112 yards. Look, a Virginia secondary that last season was bad, but so far this season had been okay, was back to looking bad last Saturday night. And the shame of the game was that an all-time performance by Cavs quarterback Brennan Armstrong was wasted. Armstrong was outstanding for a second consecutive game. 39 of 54 for 554 yards, four touchdowns, and an interception. He took three sacks, but the 554 passing yards are a single-game Virginia record and are the most ever by a quarterback against North Carolina. And Armstrong became the first quarterback in Virginia history to pass for at least 300 yards in each of three consecutive games. He's been really good so far this season. Wake Forest is 3-0. and All three games have been home games. Back-to-back -back routes of Old Dominion at Norfolk State, followed by a 35-14 win over Florida State last Saturday afternoon. Public money is about even for this game. The line for the game has held pretty steady. Uh, Virginia was minus four, then moved to minus three and a half. The question is what to make of Virginia's defense. You cannot unsee what we saw at North Carolina last Saturday night. But A, Brennan Armstrong is playing really well right now. And B, Virginia at home 
under Bronco Mendenhall is much different than Virginia on the road under Bronco Mendenhall. The Hoos with Bronco as head coach are just 8-23 and 23 in games away from Scott Stadium. Well, this game is happening at Scott Stadium. And so gimme Virginia, minus three and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. And Goldilocks, game number three, Navy at Houston, Saturday night at seven. The midshipmen are plus 19. This is the mids AAC opener. Uh, Navy did not play last weekend, and that was a good thing. Oh, the mids needed to collect their breath. Uh, the mids fell to 0-2 with a 23-3 loss to Air Force at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis on September 11th. We then had the Ivan Jasper controversy. Navy, after the game, fired assistant head coach, offensive coordinator, and quarterbacks coach Ivan Jasper. But then head coach Ken Niamatololo, in an online press conference the following Monday, announced that Jasper had been rehired as quarterbacks coach. What happened was that Jasper was fired by Navy Director of Athletics Chet Gladchuk, but Niamatololo then asked Gladchuk to reconsider. Navy has looked really bad so far. Began its season with a 49-7 loss to Marshall in Annapolis on September 4th. Uh, Navy's offense has been terrible. There's instability at quarterback, just all kinds of issues. Houston is 2-1. Began its season with a 38-21 loss to Texas Tech at NRG Stadium in Houston, but the Cougars have since had a 44-7 win at Rice and a 45-0 shutout of Grambling. Uh, Houston, through week three, was number 28 in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN. The public is overwhelmingly on Houston. I would love to talk myself into taking Navy, and maybe Navy starts to get its act together with this game, but I got to see that before I can believe that. Give me Houston, minus 19. Make money, money, make money, money, money. All right, so to review, Maryland, minus 14 and a half. Virginia, minus three and a half. Houston, minus 19. A lot of chalk this week, but that's okay. I went with three anti-public plays last week. And so there you go, your Goldilocks for college football, week four. Well, believe it or not, the Capitals on Thursday conducted their first practice of training camp. The NHL season is the longest season of the seasons that are put forth by the big four pro sports leagues in this country. Uh, The NHL season begins in October, ends in June. Uh, The Caps preseason opener is this Sunday evening against the Boston Bruins at Capital One Arena at five. The Caps regular season opener is on October 13th against the New York Rangers at Capital One Arena. Now, there was news with the Caps on Thursday And the news isn't good. Uh, The Caps on Thursday announced that Nicholas Backstrom would miss the start of training camp due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. Uh, He is listed as week to week. So this coming season will be Backstrom's age 34 season. The Caps in January 2020 re-signed Backstrom to a five-year, $46 million contract extension. Now, Backstrom dealing with the hip could open the door for Connor McMichael to begin the regular season at the NHL level. The Caps took McMichael with the number 25 pick in the first round of the 2019 NHL draft. McMichael is a center. He, in the 2020-2021 AHL regular season, led the Caps AHL affiliate, the Hershey Bears, with 13 goals and 27 points. But with Backstrom, so he underwent hip surgery in May 2015. Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan on Thursday in a press conference with reporters said that what Backstrom is dealing with now is related to that surgery 
that Backstrom underwent in May 2015, that Backstrom has accumulated wear and tear on the hip. Uh, Backstrom is still a very good player, but he is an older player. And this is where the Caps now are. They're still a good team, but they are an older team. And they have multiple key guys coming off of stuff. Uh, Defenseman John Carlson on Thursday said that he chipped and or cracked a piece of his kneecap last season, got the situation surgically addressed, although he also said that he expects to be a full go for any preseason games. TJ Oshie on Thursday said that a soft tissue injury that nagged him late last season took a little longer to heal than he had hoped, but he said that he is now good to go. The Caps are an older team, and their team coming off three consecutive first-round exits in the Stanley Cup playoffs since winning the Stanley Cup in 2018. This is a tricky spot that the Caps are in. Still good enough to make postseasons, but not good enough, at least not in each of the last three postseasons, to do anything in these postseasons. But that's the thing with the NHL. All you have to do is make the postseason And you're automatically a Stanley Cup contender because the Stanley Cup playoffs are incredibly flukish and are so much about which goaltenders are hot and so often feature upsets in terms of seeding. So as long as you can just get into the Stanley Cup playoffs, you have a shot at the Stanley Cup, but the Caps still are good enough to make the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, The Caps did not do much this past offseason in terms of additions due to being up against the salary cap. Although the Caps did re-sign the greatest player in the history of the franchise. So there was that, right? Uh, The Caps on July 27th, the day before the start of NHL free agency, announced the re-signing of unrestricted free agent-to-be Alex Ovechkin to a five-year, $47.5 million contract. Uh, The Caps did lose two key defensemen from last season. The Caps on July 26th traded defenseman Brendan Dillon to the Winnipeg Jets for two second-round picks, a second-round pick in the 2022 NHL draft and a second-round pick in the 2023 NHL draft. And the Caps did lose unrestricted free agent defenseman Zdeno Chara. Uh, He spent last season with the Caps, ended up playing a lot. Uh, Chara signed a one-year contract with the New York Islanders in a deal that was announced last Saturday. Uh, This coming season, by the way, will be Chara's age 44 season. Uh, Caps still have the same top two goaltenders that the team had last season, Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek, although it was an eventful offseason for Vanacek. The Caps on July 21st lost Vanacek in the expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken, but the Caps on July 28th announced having traded a second round pick in the 2023 NHL draft to the Kraken for Vanacek. So the Caps lost Vanacek to the Kraken in the expansion draft and then got back Vanacek a week later via a trade with the Kraken. And the second round pick that the Caps sent to the Kraken for Vanacek, uh, that was a second round pick that was acquired by the Caps from the Jets in the Brendan Dillon trades. That was a nice job of wheeling and dealing by Brian McClellan. Also, Caps on August 9th announced the re-signing of Samsonov. Uh, He was a restricted free agent, got a one-year, $2 million contract. Uh, This coming season is a very big season for Ilya Samsonov. He only got a one-year contract as a restricted free agent. That, to me, says a lot. The Caps want to see more before they commit to Ilya Samsonov. He needs to step up big time. Caps took Samsonov with the number 22 pick in the 2015 NHL draft. He has been a very mixed player for the Caps, and he has caused one headache after another for the Caps. There's been a lot of stuff to deal with with Ilya Samsonov. Speaking of stuff to deal with, uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov is still on the Caps. Uh, the Caps this past offseason did not trade old Kuzi. Uh, he's coming off back-to-back sketchy seasons. Kuznetsov 
this past season, played in just 41 of the Caps' 56 regular season games and in just three of the Caps' five games in the Caps' five-game first-round series loss to the Boston Bruins in the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs. All of the missed time was related to non-injury situations. So he had two bouts with COVID-19. The first bout was part of the controversy that led to the NHL this past January 20th fining the Caps $100,000 for player violations of the league's COVID-19 protocols. Uh, Kuznetsov's second bout with COVID-19 came off him and Samsonov having been suspended for a game by the team for being late to a team function. Uh, As you may recall, Kuznetsov also served a three-game suspension without pay at the start of the 2019-2020 regular season for inappropriate conduct, which we know was cocaine use. Uh, Kuzi is talented. Nobody has ever denied that. He can be insanely productive. Nobody denies that. But he also can disappear, and he's got to get his act together and produce the way we know that he can produce. This coming season will only be Kuznetsov's age 29 season. He's still not even in his 30s, but he's got to be available, okay? He's got to stop getting suspended. He's got to stop getting COVID. I mean, the guy's had COVID-19 twice. I mean, is he going for like the COVID hat trick? Okay, like enough is enough here with old Kuzi getting COVID. And uh, the guy's got to deliver. You know, he's got a fat contract too. Kemp's in July 2017 signed Kuznetsov to an eight-year, $62.4 million contract. Now, I do have to say this. There is a charm to Evgeny Kuznetsov that makes it really hard not to like the guy. Okay, first of all, he has the bird celebration, the bird celly that he does, which I love to see. But the guy also has a sense of humor that's pretty endearing. Take a listen to this. This is how Evgeny Kuznetsov's press conference on Thursday started. How's summer, man? Great. <laughs> no, 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 I got the green card, you know. I'm good. I can speak now. <laughs> they can't send me home anymore, you know. <laughs> Even if they do, I can always come back. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay, fun time is over. Now real questions, right? <laughs> All right. Now that's funny. All right. That's funny. How do you not like that? How do you not laugh at that? Okay. I cracked up when I saw that from Kuzi on Thursday. You could see why people uh, like to party with Evgeny Kuznetsov. Well, speaking of laughing, or at least smiling, uh, Kuzi later in his press conference said the following. The the goal is for me to to get my smile back in the game, you know? And if I don't smile in the game, that means something bad, right? We don't play good. And for me, it was always important to, to see guys happy, to see, to see smile during the game. Even if you lose the game, you come back in the locker room, you see it. It was like, man, we, we, we did everything we could, right? We, we try, we, it just didn't go our way. You know, we come back next day, we're happy, we, we work. But, you know, when, you, when you're always in negative mode, when you're not happy, it doesn't make you better. It's not easy for you to, to, to compete. Well, good for Kuzi. I hope that Kuznetsov is smiling this season. Uh, I hope that he doesn't get COVID again, okay? I hope that he does not complete the COVID hattie. Uh, and I hope, like heck, that we see Evgeny Kuznetsov, who we saw in the 2018 Stanley Cup playoffs. Never forget, while it was Alex Ovechkin who won the Conn Smythe Trophy as postseason MVP in 2018, it was Kuznetsov 
who that postseason led the Caps with 32 points, a franchise record for a single postseason. I was never on board with just giving Kuznetsov away this past offseason. If you were going to trade him and get back great value, fine. But otherwise, the guy is too gifted to just give away. And especially when you consider you would have been trading him away at a pretty low value point. If nothing else, let him rehab his value with a strong season this coming season. The guy is too talented to keep being as he has been over these last few years. Well, it's not quite the battle that the San Francisco Giants and Los Angeles Dodgers are having for the National League West title, but the Orioles and Arizona Diamondbacks are tied for the worst record in the majors. Uh, each team at 49 and 104 as of games through Thursday. Who will step up or step down the most over the final week plus of the MLB regular season to secure that number one pick in the 2022 MLB draft. Who will tank the best over the final week plus of the regular season to secure that number one pick in the 2022 MLB draft? We shall see. But actually, we had a nice win for the O's on Thursday night. A 3 nothing win over the Texas Rangers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in game one of a four-game series. Now, the Rangers are really bad, but the O's are worse. So no apologies are necessary. And so Joe Angel, if you would. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe. Uh, this Orioles win on Thursday night. Another game in which Austin Hayes delivered. What a run this guy is on. He was the Orioles starting left fielder at number three batter. Went two for four with a solo homer and a single. Hayes in the bottom of the first had a two out full count single despite having been down to the count of 1.12. Hayes in the bottom of the eighth had a one out solo homer to left field. The homer going a projected 412 feet for StatCast. So Austin Hayes now this season has 22 homers and has raised his OPS for the season by 92 points since the start of games on August 25th. His OPS for the season has gone from 687 to 779 since the start of games on August 25th. He has been arguably the Orioles' best hitter over the last month, and that's saying something because Cedric Mullins, the Orioles center fielder, has continued to do well, and Ryan Mountcastle has continued to do well, and he did well again in this 3-0 win over the Rangers at Camden Yards on Thursday night. Ryan Mountcastle continues his candidacy for American League Rookie of the Year. Mountcastle, as the Orioles starting first baseman, had number two batter on Thursday night, two for four, with a solo homer and a single. Mountcastle in the bottom of the third had a two-out single on an 0-2 pitch. And Mountcastle in the bottom of the fifth, a two-out opposite field solo homer to right field. The homer going a projected 412 feet for Stadcast. Mountcastle now has 31 home runs this season, and he has a slugging percentage of 496 this season. And then a third positive for the O's on Thursday night was their starting pitching. You know, this win on Thursday night for the Orioles was a second win in four games, but each win in that stretch, a shutout victory, believe it or not. I mean, the Orioles pitching this season has been atrocious, but you now have each of the last two Orioles wins, shutout wins. Uh, But the Orioles starting pitcher on Thursday night was lefty Zach Lowther, and he was quite good. Uh, Lowther on Thursday night, five scoreless innings with seven strikeouts. He gave up just three hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks and a wild pitch. Now, he did throw 94 pitches over the five innings, but, you know, anything that's good from any of these young Orioles pitchers, you take 
with how this season has gone. Uh, Lowther is a guy who the O's recalled from AAA Norfolk on September 6th. He had pitched for the O's previously at the Major League level this season. Uh, Lowther was taken by the O's in the second round of the 2017 MLB draft out of Xavier. But, you know, Lowther is one of many Orioles pitchers who has gotten shellacked at times this season. Lowther in a 22-7 loss to the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on September 12th allowed seven runs in two innings, but a nice job by Lowther against the Rangers on Thursday night. Game two for the O's against the Rangers at Camden Yards Friday night at 7.05. All right, my friends, that will do it for you and me. But just for now, uh, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 153, will be a jam-packed show. It may be a two-hour show. Who the heck knows? Uh, it will be a Washington football team post-game show. I do know that off whatever happens in Washington's game at the Buffalo Bills. But I also will discuss the college football weekend and what goes down for Maryland, Virginia Navy, and Virginia Tech. I will get into whatever incredible things Juan Soto does for the Nationals at the Cincinnati Reds. And I'll talk Orioles as well. And you know what? Maybe something big happens at Capitals training camp. You never know. If Evgeny Kuznetsov is still on the team. Have a great weekend. Hail to the burgundy and the gold. And I'll talk to you on Monday. Great. No, no, no. I got the green card. You know, I'm good. I can speak now. <laughs> they can't send me home anymore. You know. <laughs> Even if they do, I can always come back. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fun time is over. Now real questions, right? <laughs> this is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.